A thing that looks like a police box standing in a junkyard. It can move anywhere. Haven, concentrate on sin. Give priority to the detectors and the navigation systems. There is a corridor. And the corridor is time. It surrounds all things. On display, I eventually had to go down to the cellar. That's the display department. With a torch. The lights are probably gone. So had the stairs. You are just number six. I am not a number. I am a person. Welcome to British Invaders, episode 385. This is the podcast all about British science fiction television, and this time we are talking about A Christmas Carol. This is Brian from Canada. And this is Eamon from England. Hello. Yes, it's that time of year when we try to find some Christmas ghosts to talk about, and it occurred to us that we perhaps ought to consider maybe the most famous Christmas ghost story of all time, So here is a 1977 BBC production of Charles Dickens' classic novella, A Christmas Carol. Yes, and it gives us everything you would expect from A Christmas Carol. It's a one-hour production, in colour, of course, with a great cast, and it covers all the things you would expect in a pretty traditional way. Yes, we will talk a little bit about how traditional it is as we go along. Um, It is fairly faithful adaptation, this one. Yes, so getting into the setup, which is very familiar, of course, but Jacob Marley was dead to start with in the story here, and Ebenezer Scrooge is a penny-pinching miser who dislikes Christmas quite profoundly and is very bitter and dislikable when we meet him. He is the very definition of the Scrooge, Ebenezer Scrooge. And of course, he runs his lending house in London and is generally being miserable to the world, to his clerk, to his nephew, to any passing visitors who call to either wish him the compliments of the season or inquire after charitable donations. And the rest of London, of course, is getting ready for Christmas Day, which is coming up the next day. But Scrooge is returning to his dark and cold and lonely house where he has plans, I guess, Brian, for a quiet meal and perhaps an early night. But those plans are going to be disrupted. Yes, absolutely. And of course, he is going to be subject to some Christmas ghosts. A number of ghostly visitations will befall Ebenezer Scrooge on the night before Christmas. Absolutely. So the characters... Ebenezer Scrooge, in this case played by Michael Hordern, uh, who we remember from Whistle and I'll Come to You from 1968. He plays Scrooge as being grumpy and mean and thinking nothing of the, the Christmas season at all and is quite nasty to everyone we see him interact with. He is. He is the mean old Scrooge himself. We mentioned his clerk, Bob Cratchit, famously, here played by Clive Merrison, who I remember as a very good radio Sherlock Holmes in a number of radio adaptations. But you reminded me he's also been in Doctor Who a couple of times, Tomb of the Cybermen in 1967, and he was also in Paradise Towers, perhaps slightly less well-remembered story than uh, Tomb of the Cybermen, but that was 1987. And he is Scrooge's put-upon clerk. He is a cheerful soul with his poor and cheerful family to support him. 
but much abused by uh, Scrooge at the start of this story. Yes, absolutely. And of course, he represents the, the good people that Scrooge will have to learn more about. Jacob Marley, played by John LeMessurier, was Scrooge's deceased business partner and the first ghost to visit him who sets things up for how this will go. And of course, you'll know John LeMessurier from his famous role as Sergeant Wilson in Dad's Army. But here he is as the ghost of Jacob Marley with his jaw held up with the bandage and so on. So, yeah, very spooky character. For sure, yeah. And then, of course, we've got the three ghosts who are going to visit Scrooge, as foretold by Jacob Marley. So we get the ghost of Christmas past, here played by Patricia Quinn, who you may remember playing Magenta in the Rocky Horror Picture Show, and depicted here pretty much as described in Dickens' original, a pale young woman with a glowing head like a candle who's going to take Scrooge back in time to visit some previous Christmas days and show him some moments from his own past in quite a touching and affecting way. Yes, it's an interesting take on that character. It worked well, I think. The Ghost of Christmas Present was played by Bernard Lee, who I think is best remembered as the original M from the James Bond films. Absolutely. Yes, of course. The classic Bond and the classic M. And this ghost is quite cheerful and celebrates Christmas and gives Scrooge some insight into the Cratchit's life, the, the family of them, including the plight of young Tiny Tim. Yes, the famous Tiny Tim, and of course the ghost of Christmas yet to come, or Christmas future, played by the actor Michael Mulcaster, but of course it's a silent role in the sort of tall, dark, imposing costume that the ghost of Christmas yet to come wears. And, you know, yeah, again, um, a spooky figure in a spooky story. Yes, absolutely. And Tiny Tim was played by Timothy Chasen, the youngest and frailest of the Cratchit children, and is there for us to see some empathy as Scrooge changes through the, the course of the story. Indeed, yes, poor Tiny Tim. And, you know, I suppose for the BBC, we wouldn't be too surprised. It's got a great cast. Look out for some smaller roles. EastEnders regular June Brown plays Doc Cotton on EastEnders, or did do, turns up. Uh, Zoe Wanamaker, who we saw in Gormenghast, but she is Belle, the young Scrooge's romantic interest. And even Christopher Biggins, who is sort of... Nowadays, the ghost of Christmas present himself, in terms of the number of pantomimes he does, is there as well. So look out for, you know, through the cast. There's some great names popping up here, Brian. Yes, and a lot of these actors, you know, we mentioned one or two things they've been in, but many of them have been in a lot of different things. So you really might recognize them from all sorts of places. Indeed, you will. Now, as we said, this is a fairly faithful adaptation of Dickens' original story. So after the frightful visitation from Jacob Marley, who warns him what's to come, Scrooge will see each of the three traditional Christmas ghosts who will sort of take him and show him various scenes and tableaus. 
That's right. And he journeys into his past and into the present day life in London to see things happening there and into a sort of dark vision of the future. You know, in the future, seeing an empty chair by the fireplace for Tiny Tim and so on. And of course, he also sees something of the death of an unnamed man, a man who is unmourned in the future, and in fact who people will deride his reputation and his legacy and turn up to basically strip his house of all its assets immediately after his death. Quite a sort of like scary future presented to Scrooge, which is quite terrifying to him. Yes, and of course it becomes clear to us and then clear to Scrooge that this unmourned man is, of course, Scrooge himself. That is his future as foretold by the ghosts of Christmas yet to come. So we should get into our production notes for this one. So what can we say about Charles Dickens? His dates, 1812 to 1870. One of the best-known English writers of all time, I think would be fair to say, Brian. Probably, you know, if you're thinking of British writers, you think Shakespeare, then you next think Dickens. Dickens, I should imagine. Maybe Jane Austen makes the top three. Maybe so. He was one of the people involved in the novel being becoming popular as a form and becoming sort of a dominant force in what people would consume in what they read, as opposed to reading poetry, which, you know, things swung a little more towards the novel, and some would say that was starting with Dickens. And of course, his famous Victorian novels, his short stories often serialised in the magazines of the time, which, of course, we know from the Victorian period were exceedingly popular, so popular that we know people would be on bated breath waiting for the next instalment of certain stories. And there's, you know, there's stories about shipments of magazines with the next instalment of the old curiosity shop with people queuing up on the dockside to get their copies. It was such a, you know, it's a fascinating aspect of Victorian time, which we've touched on occasionally with other authors. But this serialised fiction, it was... It was the, uh, I guess it was the binge viewing of the time, Brian. In a way it was, yeah. It was how people were consuming fiction. Dickens created many memorable and memorably named characters, but he was also a social critic and commentator talking about the living and working conditions of the working class in Victorian England, which was very important social thing at the time. And this is partly because the Dickens family had known some financial hardship at times. Yes, I think the one fact people often mention in this respect is that Dickens' father had spent time in the debtor's prison, the infamous Marshalsea prison of London, where debtors were sent. So he knew what it was like to be impoverished and have to scrape for every penny and every meal. Yes, and this was sort of a crucial piece of social change that was required at that point in the 19th century. In 1843, Charles Dickens was already a well-respected author with six novels and a number of short stories to his name. And we know in that year that he was visiting workhouses, uh, sort of to investigate, to research. He spent some time in Cornwall where he visited Cornish tin mines, which were where they saw children working in mines. 
and obviously he formed some strong views about all this and he felt he was tempted to publish something about working conditions and the plight of the poor in a pamphlet which was also a thing in Victorian times that well-known figures or authors would publish a political pamphlet but he thought actually he might write a deeply felt Christmas narrative that would reach more people and I guess on that one Brian he turned out to be right I think this one did reach more people than a political pamphlet. Yes that's right I think what he realized was that his platform and his skills what he was good at was writing stories fiction writing novels we do know that in late 1843 he was severely affected by insomnia and much of a christmas carol was created on long nighttime walks around london and it was written in about six weeks, which is remarkable, and then rushed into publication for a December 19th release in 1843, with that first printing selling out before Christmas Eve. So that's, you know, a week to sell out an entire printing of it. And it seems there was actually some evidence of increased charitable donations after the publication of A Christmas Carol. So it seems that Dickens may have achieved some of what he was trying to. Uh, it's remarkable and, you know, some fascinating insight into the creation of this book. Now we're going to turn to adaptations of A Christmas Carol and they didn't wait too long. I mean, it was published December 43. In, eight, in February 1844, it was adapted for the stage we know later on in his career, Dickens would have great success himself as a reader of his stories and would perform A Christmas Carol himself in readings which were extraordinarily popular. I think Dickens ended up being most financially successful and making most of his money from public readings rather than from sales of his books. I, I have heard that, yes, I believe that's right. He was, you know, it was he was an ignor enormously successful orator and uh, public reader, as it were. In terms of film adaptations, it was first filmed in 1901 and has gone on, of course, to be adapted for radio, for television, for film, animated versions, operas, ballets, musicals, mime versions and comic books. It is possibly one of the most adapted uh, works of fiction we've come across, I should imagine, Brian. It must be up there, and one of the things that's been adapted both a great number of times, but also for a large number of media, because it's been, <laughs> you know, ad adapted for nearly every medium that could be used for telling a fictional story. Absolutely. So we should get to this 1977 production, the idea to adapt A Christmas Carol for the BBC came from producer Jonathan Powell, who noted that the ghost story for Christmas strand that Lawrence Gordon Clark had been doing throughout the 70s on the BBC... They had done a Dickens ghost story. They did The Signalman for Christmas 1976. We covered that in British Invaders 171 and 172 back in 2013. 
We also included the two modern ghost stories that they included at the end of the ghost story for Christmas Strand. So these were sort of the things they did after they were doing the M.R. James stories. So it was the last sort of classic story that they did for a ghost story for Christmas in the 1970s. And what I don't know is whether Jonathan Powell was aware that Lawrence Gordon Clark was switching to modern stories when he chose to do a sort of very traditional version of A Christmas Carol. I'd be fascinated to know a little bit more about that, but it does seem an interesting coincidence, as it were. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. I'm guessing he had a good idea that the Dickens adaptation was something they were doing once and they wouldn't be continuing with Dickens stories, but of course we don't know. So Powell asked Elaine Morgan to adapt it for a one-hour time slot and handed it to Moira Armstrong to direct. We remember her from The Guardians, and original music was composed for it by Herbert Chappell. And in terms of casting, we know, interestingly, Michael Horden had played Jacob Marley on screen in films at least twice before he came to be cast as Scrooge here. I think he's famously Marley in the uh, Alistair Sim version from 1951. We know it was shot at the BBC studios in Maida Vale. They made use of CSO backdrops to sort of depict some scenes of Victorian London. So no real sort of... I don't think there's any outside filming. It's all on sets and then these... Slightly strange CSO backdrops, I think, Brian. Yes, they used sort of an interesting technique of having the backgrounds for many of the sequences with the ghosts and things that the, that the ghosts are showing Scrooge. Those would not be realistic backgrounds. They would be paintings and things that are meant to look like paintings, not meant to look like a real backdrop. So that gives something of a surreal feel to it, which was an interesting approach. Perhaps a slightly more traditional special effect was used for the scenes between Scrooge and Jacob Marley, with Michael Horden and John LeMessure filming their sequences separately, of course, so then that the ghostly image of Marley could be sort of composited into the shot with Michael Horden. And we'll talk about that a bit more next time, but it seems to work quite well, I think, Brian. Yeah. Yes, and as you say, it was a fairly traditional, you know, sort of semi-transparent ghost, and we sort of move gradually into those more abstract types of images, which I think was a nice approach. Brian Blessed is the narrator for this, uncredited, but he did the narration, so always nice to hear his booming voice, although not too shouty here, but to hear his booming voice show up. But clearly distinctive. For sure. A Christmas Carol was broadcast on Christmas Eve 1977 and then repeated in 1979. So that's the facts we have about uh, production. Let's turn to availability and give you a chance to watch it yourself. Here in Region 2, uh, you have two options at the moment, both on DVD. There is a single DVD version, which is still out there for about £11. Or I've got the Charles Dickens at the BBC box set, which currently goes for about £25, and it's one of the discs there. As you can imagine, that's got several other classic BBC adaptations of 
Dickens novels. So there's lots of good value in there. I can't find it streaming anywhere here in the UK at the moment, which seems a shame. It seems like it should turn up on BritBox, but doesn't just yet. Oh, that's interesting. In Region 1, there is no DVD release, but it is available on BritBox. And that's what I did here in Canada. I watched it on BritBox. So if you subscribe to BritBox or if you want to use the one-week trial, I'm pretty sure in the U.S. as well as Canada, this production of A Christmas Carol is available. So come on, BritBox UK, get it on your streaming as well, please. Yes, for the most part, there seems to be a lot more on the UK version of BritBox than the North American version. But in this case, there's something that's only on the North American release. The novella itself, the original book, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, is in the public domain and it has never been out of print. It's widely available. Yes, very. You won't have any trouble tracking down a copy of this one, Brian. No, you'll be able to find that wherever you look for it, I'm sure. So next time, we will talk a little bit more about this adaptation and focus a bit more on some of the elements of the original story that made it to the screen. Indeed, we will. Yes, lots to talk about. And we might also talk about some other screen versions and maybe the odd favourite. Indeed, yes. I might mention one or two next time. And we'll review and rate this production and tell you whether you should be adding it to your Christmas viewing list. Absolutely. Until then, you can find all of our episodes, including a number of Christmas ghost stories. We've been doing them at this time of year for some time. You can find all of that at BritishInvaders.com. Or if you search for British Invaders on Facebook, you can find our Facebook group and see all of our discussions there. And maybe tell us about your favorite adaptation of A Christmas Carol. Indeed, please come along. And please also join us as part of the Voice of Geeks Network, your place to go for all geek-related stuff on the internet. Find that at vognetwork.com. Absolutely. So thank you for listening. And this is Brian from Canada signing off. Yes, thank you very much. Until next time, Eamon in England also signing off. Mm-hmm.